Hello, and welcome to Surviving HG, the Truth About Plant Medicine podcast. I'm your Canadian host, Tori Moline, and I can't wait to share with you all the brave, untold stories of women who faced hyperemesis gravidarum and courageously chose to use plant medicine. These stories carry with them raw experiences, brave vulnerability, and ultimately the intuitive powers HG moms have deep within inside of us. This podcast marries two untalked about subjects, HG and the generation of women who were silenced, and the natural yet stigmatized powers of the cannabis plant. HG is the picture-perfect illness candidate for cannabis, but because it involves pregnancy and growing a baby, doctors in the medical world are reluctant to try it and to recommend it. Decades worth of propaganda still contributes to many people, including these doctors, outlook on plant medicine. In some places like the UK or Texas, for example, HG moms who choose to use cannabis out of survival to save them and their baby are persecuted. In other places, HG moms are given a hard time by social workers, family members, partners, hospital staff, and their OB and midwife. HG moms deserve justice after centuries of suffering. HG moms deserve to know about plant medicine as an option during HG pregnancies. HG moms deserve to know there are other women fighting just like them and making the brave decision to go against the social norms and choose plant medicine. HG moms need education, resources, and community after centuries of being deprived from it. These stories you are about to hear are from moms who bravely shared them in hopes of helping create change for future HG generations. These stories deserve to be heard. These stories deserve to be protected. And these stories deserve to be shared and listened to. These are the untold stories of HG plant medicine moms. The next HG story is from Grace in Ontario, Canada. Grace had hyperemesis gravidarum during the same time as me, actually. We both got pregnant in December of 2020. Uh, so Grace had hyperemesis gravidarum, but she also endured Wernicke's enthalopathy, or WE. WE is the severe progression of hyperemesis gravidarum. It refers to the body's decline, uh, mom and baby's decline, essentially, uh, Grace bravely shares her story about HG and WE, how plant medicine played a role in helping her, both cannabis and mushrooms, um, and the journey she's been on since, her healing journey. Uh, I met Grace through my platforms talking about HG last summer, and her and I really bonded over our unique experiences. Um, in this episode, we talk about a lot of things that have not been talked about before, um, perhaps some people in the medical world would be more scared to talk about them, but because we are not medical professionals, we're just two gals having a conversation about our experiences, we want to put these subjects out there. Uh, so let me know maybe if you also know about these subjects, uh, leave a review and follow me on Instagram and we can chat. All right, here it is. Here is Grace's episode. I am so, so grateful she shared it with me and so humbled and honored uh, because it is one very powerful story. Here's Grace's story. I feel like it started so authentically 
and you were posting like what we needed to see, like the fact that your early days were like, here's my tips of like deep suffering survival, like get an electric grinder. So you're not like dying at the vertigo and the sweating of twisting a grinder for some reason, even that is like the most basic of human operations to twist your hands. And we couldn't even do that without vomiting. Uh, And you were like, here's my survival techniques. It's so like authentic. And then you had social media etiquette come in and be like, no, there are social norms. Yeah, right. Well, exactly. I wish I wouldn't. Well, I can kind of curve it where I restrict my time on social media a little bit more. But because before I was just aimlessly scrolling. And so I was trying to learn as much as I could about social media so that I could do what I'm doing sort of thing. And so I was like, I was like, literally like, this is a learning experience as I'm like scrolling for hours almost. And I, I, I came to realize that um, that's probably not a good thing. <laughs> it's so there's so many different, like people have taken TikTok, especially so many different ways with education, like even just for like autism. And then you look at like other illnesses, like people with Lyme disease and MS and all these other things that like, you can be in a niche field of, and now there's a community online and we're able to connect with people. Like that's how we met. And we wouldn't have never met if you weren't like, I'm suffering this way. And there's like 1% of us. And here I'm the other 1% on the other side of the country. And then we just like had such a good click. And we're like, we have the deepest sufferings and they're so similar. And now we can like share so much healing that we had to like forge from the depths of survival and sickness. And it's it's very strange, but we wouldn't see it if we didn't have access like we do now where to people that aren't close to us. Yeah. I, I think TikTok is, a, or even social media in general, a great, a great thing, but also like a not so great thing. But one of the great things being the community that's just like instantaneous. Well, I mean, for us, we had to do a little bit of searching. And I think if someone has HG now, maybe it's, I don't know. Sometimes I show up on for you pages of people who just get HG, which is good, but I think they still have to dig for us a little bit, which kind of sucks. Um, I, I hope like one day it's just easy to find our community, you know? And it's just crazy that until this year, like it didn't even exist. Like to think if I would have gone pregnant like four years ago, I wouldn't have found women who also went through it pretty much. Yeah. I, I guarantee I, I would. I would Sorry. Oh, I just said, I guarantee I wouldn't have, or if I did, it would have been many years later type of thing. Yeah. I was pregnant and looking online. I remember searching things into like Pinterest and things into Instagram being like hyperemesis. And it was like these, these drawings that these other traumatized women have done, which were like the for the ultimate foreshadowing to be in my art therapy traumas. <laughs> but just it, all that was out there was like Pinterest sadness drawings and like one little children's book on Amazon called like Mama Has Hyperemesis Gravitarium I've just for a little while. Yes. Uh, and I ordered that. And then I think in my grief tragedy, I set it on fire in the bathtub. Um Anyways, but that's what was out there at the time, nothing. And then I know that if you search now a little bit and you do your research, it's like anything. If you do the proper research and you are looking into your health stuff the way you should be and like have a good mindset, I mean, good research, I'm saying, would absolutely be biased. Uh, Like you've got to go in with a bit of a bias, like the medical system that we have set up is not going to help what else is out there. You're not going to 
TikTok for say, for medical advice, you're going to see people who've suffered through it and then survived through it. What did they do in the meantime when I when they're in survival mode? Not what are these doctors telling me to do and take all these meds and whatever? It's not helping. What do I do in the meantime? And then now we're seeing like your uh, electric grinder thing. That was a survival thing that I couldn't get for whatever reason, could not find anywhere. But uh, it's like techniques and tips like that, that mean the most in like the immediate that we're now seeing come up via social media because it's quick sharing. And Mm -hmm. that's what we need. Yeah. It's like grouping together of all the brains that have been and walked through the same health. And then mm-hmm. we're able to produce these ideas that have never been produced before, which is really cool. Like and exciting. I feel excited by that. Oh, me too. Yeah. Me too. Um, because we were, we were pregnant at the same time, December 2020, right? Um, so I was going to say at that time on the internet, you're right. There was, I remember searching like forums, which who does that anymore type of thing. Um, I remember, yeah, just scrolling, reading women's stories from like years ago type of type of thing. Nothing current. No one I could connect with. That's for sure. There used to be this app or sorry, there still is this app called um, What to Expect. I think mm-hmm. What to Expect, something like that app. It's a baby app, pregnancy app. And uh, there was a group on there because that's where I first discovered like, like pregnancy groups, like mom groups sort of thing. And Somehow I came across Ganja Moms, which is a board on there. So it's like a forum. It is a forum on this app. And and so that was, I read that thing like the freaking Bible. I scrolled through that all all day for like consecutive weeks. If I had time time down during my like work day, I was scrolling through Ganja Mom or Ganja. I can't remember what it's called. Ganja Moms, I think. Um, I the board there. And just like getting their stories and uh, telling myself that my cannabis use was oh, like, it was going to be okay type of thing. It was crazy. But yeah, you should reach out to them and say, I thought it was, and read this like a Bible. They could use that for like a morning yeah. technique. Yes. Be a cute re- recover yes. their book or something. Yeah, I should. I should. Um, as well as the Blunt Blowing Mama podcast. Have you ever listened to that before? Yeah. 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 Yeah, she, I definitely have reached out to her and told her how much her podcast saved my life because at that time, that was the only, one of the only cannabis podcasts out there. And then she was talking pregnancy, breastfeeding, and it was like, oh, like taboo to the world. But I was just sitting there like, oh my God, like you are my, you are my savior. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? How do you, how are you able to share all this? That was my like, you're just free ball. And that's what I felt like. It was just like, you are a wild person out there sharing your story with all and like out there to all the criticism just seems so foreign to me. Like I'm not on social media now. Uh, it just is so stressful to me. Um, but yeah, I just remember thinking that is incredible. Thank you. Like whoever has the balls to do that. Thank you. It's not me, but like, yeah, holy grail. Mm-hmm. But I feel like maybe social media wasn't your thing or whatever, but you definitely have your thing in which you're going to be able to heal and give back to the HD community and tell your story, which is super exciting too. And we'll get into that a little bit later, but Mm -hmm. maybe I guess my first question, or not my first question, but maybe we'll kind of dive into this now. Um, So let's start off with, 
when was the first time you ever consumed cannabis? What was what was your relationship with it prior to uh, HG? Uh, oh, okay. Where do I? I think in teenagehood somewhere. Uh, I think I had passively smoked a joint at a party and wasn't a fan. That was like my first and just like neutral. Nothing good, nothing bad. I'm fine. I'm good. Okay. And then I became a medical patient uh, specifically just for CBD. I did not want the psychoactive part of THC. I didn't understand it uh, to what I do now, obviously. Um, And I was after the CBD to help with anxiety and uh, being autistic in a world where I didn't know it was painful. So I was looking for any type of relief. And I had tried every single SSRI, every single, um, uh, what are they called? Every single antidepressant. Um, yeah, antidepressant. Yeah. Um, stimulants, everything. Uh, and I was looking for help. Yeah. And so I went to CBD and I was reading a lot about it. And I previously had a non-epileptic type of seizures from well, they were psychogenic, non-epileptic seizures. So what they were was like a replay of trauma in my brain, just not able to get out. And it was like an autistic thing that we didn't know. And then MS later played into that too. So um, I was looking for relief. And uh, reading the studies while I was in school for psychology, I saw a lot of promising things that I didn't really understand. And so I went after it and I actually had to order the CBD to my dorm room and the university I was attending at the time had to sign off on it and it wasn't legal yet. And I was becoming a medical patient and it wasn't legal in Canada yet. Uh, Oh no, it was, sorry. It wasn't legal for them to accept it at a a university yet, but they were signing off on it because of my degree of suffering at the time. That's what it was. Yeah. I think in Canada, it legalized 2017, 18. 18 yeah i think around there's part of trudeau's election promise or some some kind of something right anyway that's politics we got that out (laughs) (laughs) right right um and so so you ordered this and it was like it was kind of crazy that you were ordering cbd like oh my god wow what a time i had to get i had to get these big heads of this university to sign off on it it was like and they didn't really understand and i was like oh i used to have seizures that's just what i kept telling everybody but that was not really what I was after, I was suffering mentally, mm-hmm. having to like exist in that just horrible, holistic world that I was not meant for. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you 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 recognize the benefits of cannabis for your health, for your mind, for your well being, really. Um, and so, when you became pregnant, <clears throat> when did you know that you? your body really needed the cannabis and it was going to help you when the CBD oil stopped working. So Um, I had been taking it like crazy, crazy doses. Like I was ordering it from the supplier of the medicinal supplier, like once a week, which was their maximum allowment. I was getting the maximum dose they would let me take. And I was going through, I think like a bottle, they sell like little 30 milligram bottles at the time uh, a day just trying to get some relief and it was really helping. And I think I didn't know I was pregnant at the time when that was happening, but I had the precursors of HG and Hardy was like pretty nauseous just as a human being. (laughs) But um, So the CBD, did it provide relief for the nausea or vomiting? Like on a scale of one, what would you say? Honestly, couldn't even tell you. Probably I 
think it probably helped my body process what was going on, but I don't think it helped for the nausea. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Um, So then you decided maybe you need something a little bit stronger than CBD? Yeah. So uh, my partner, um, sorry, I'm used to calling him Brayden when we speak to you. It's weird. My fiance, Brayden, um, very lovely. He smoked a lot of weed growing up since he was, I think he said he was 18. Um, And he was coming over constantly. And what would happen was I was not wanting the psychoactive of the THC. And so he decided that he could smoke a bowl and then like baby bird it into my mouth when I was nauseous to keep the THC and in hopes of keeping like the bad things from the smoke, whatever nonsense I had going on in my mind at the time about cannabis, I did not understand. But I was so sick. I just needed it. And he's like, I'll just blow the, blow the air back in your mouth and you'll feel a little relief. And even from that, I felt a level 10 relief and I would cry like cry in tears of relief because it was just this sudden absolute body. Like I felt like uh, if anything would help the most autism, it would be weed. And it just felt like all of that pain I was carrying suddenly just dropped. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, okay. This, I did not understand what this was. Right. I need to smoke. I need to like figure this out and feel it. I did not go at this intuitively at all. I went like at it with logical mind. And that is not how you approach drugs. Logical mind (laughs) is the science of what you're doing so that you're safe, not in your trip. You need to experience things intuitively. Anyways. Yeah. uh, uh, Oh, what was I going to say? HG, HG hit you out of nowhere. Right. And so it was like, you didn't even have time to really shift uh, from that mentality of, okay, I'm going to try CBD. Okay. It's kind of working for my body, uh, whatever. But then all of a sudden you're thrown into fifth gear of HG and okay. Uh, I guess THC might be the answer with no knowledge and no prior experience. Wow. What a, what a time. Um, and I'm, I'm just so amazed at the fact that, uh, THC works so well that your partner was able to just blow it into your, into your mouth, essentially. And it worked. And I've heard that story, I would say, like from a decent amount of moms where that was oh. the first thing they tried was standing next to their uh, whoever was smoking weed and then trying to inhale it and then getting relief. So this story is it's mm-hmm. so true. And it's so many moms have experienced it. It's incredible. Oh, that breaks my heart that other moms have had the same little baby bird experience. It's it would it makes me emotional thinking about it now. But it was like Very I did cry at, at the amount of relief. And what was crazy was I would crave the smell of it, like of weed, to be around the smell of the weed when my partner would bring it over. And then I loved it. And whatever I could smell in my house for food was making me vomit constantly. I couldn't obviously keep nothing down forever. But the smell of weed made me salivate. It was like. I need that in my body. And I was craving it so deeply. I thought I got to listen to that. I'm throwing up constantly. And the only thing I feel is that my body absolutely needs this. I'm following it. I don't care. Yeah, and I did. Your intuition was speaking loud and clear. And so, wow, wow, wow. Um, maybe let's rewind a little bit. So I love I love that we started off with how cannabis really, really helped you. But let's mm-hmm go back to how maybe your doctor or maybe other things didn't help so much. Um, So let's go back to the beginning of your pregnancy there. What was, was your pregnancy planned, unplanned? Like what was the vibe kind of thing? 
<laughs> the vibe, <laughs> love it. The vibe was fear. The vibe was shock. Uh, yeah, uh, not planned. My partner and I had been together, I think, maybe six months at the time. We weren't living together yet. Um, um, you're pretty young too. It was, yeah, uh, 19, uh, uh, turning 20. Yeah, about mm-hmm. to turn 20. Yeah. Um, and I had just moved to the city um, for university a couple years before that. And I was doing my degree and it was the middle of COVID. And uh, my girlfriends encouraged me to make a Tinder account uh, over a wine night. It was FaceTime, like FaceTime, it was locked down and we were all bored and miserable. Uh, and it was right before an exam. Um, yeah. so with that being said, so when did you find out you're pregnant? Did you take a test? Oh, okay. This is a good one. I had a dream. So Brayden and I had, uh, uh, fallen asleep and it was like four in the morning. It was like a Saturday morning. And I had a dream that two of my teachers, one from elementary school and one from high school were yelling at me to take a pregnancy test in my dream. And then I was running down the hallway and then there was this little boy and like yellow rubber boots that ran past me quicker than I could get to him. And I went to follow him and then I woke up and I think it was like three or four in the morning and I wasn't even half awake and I, or I was half awake, I guess. And I stumbled to the bathroom and I took a pregnancy test and I woke up very quickly when immediately there were two lines, like immediately that, uh, yeah, you're supposed to wait. And so I was half asleep and it was just shock. You can hear it still in my voice now. It's just, I don't know how to piece the sentence together because it's still just this, a shock. I was not awake, not expecting that. The dream I had was strange. It was three in the morning. And then I had to go wake my partner up. Poor Brayden. He's like, are you sure the lights are on? I don't, are you sure you see two lines? I don't know. It's three in the morning. Are you, are you sure you can see? I, you don't have your glasses on. I was like, oh, no. All right. Well, I think so. I'm going to go cry in the shower now. And I just let him sleep. I just was like, yeah, it's, I don't know what to do with myself. I just cried in the shower for a little bit. And, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, did the na- did the nausea or puking kick in soon after that kind of thing? Uh I don't remember when it started, but I had a good couple of weeks. We were really afraid because I had uh, stomach issues before I was pregnant when I was a kid uh, as well. And we didn't know if I was going to react super badly. We knew my mom had hyperemesis uh, and that I was likely to suffer with it. But we were really keeping an eye on it and I was doing okay. And then I noticed when that CBD started to wear off. Slowly, I noticed the effects I was going through within a bottle a day, and I thought, "Oh, this is not gonna be too good. This mm-hmm. is not helping anymore." Uh, because usually, even the taste of the CBD oil, I think, it is, as a bit of a conditioning thing to my brain, uh, had trained my brain to feel a little less nauseous um, mm-hmm. in that way. But that wasn't helping, and that was my that was my clue to, yeah, start having Braden blow the smoke in my face for a little bit first. <laughs> right, right. Um, so did you go to the doctor about uh, being pregnant? And what did they say when you got there? Oh, right. So I uh, actually had an appointment with my cannabis doctor via Zoom uh, first before I got sick. And I said, I don't know what to do about the CBD oil. Do I continue it? I haven't done any research yet. I'm talking to you as my provider. Um And he was like, yeah, I actually can't recommend anything to you. We don't like as a Canadian government, we cannot 
say anything to you about pregnancy and marijuana use at all. At the time, I was only using the CBD. So he was like, if it's helping you, please do not stop, stop taking it. He just, he emphasized that. He said, if it is helping you, please do not. I said, okay. So I've got the green light then. Thank you. And then he said the legal stuff and we were good. Um, but then when I started vomiting and it was the cyclical vomiting that I had experienced previously in my life where it's lethargic and your brain is the different level of consciousness. I knew I was in trouble and I just took myself to the ER. Like we just, I was in the ER constantly mm-hmm. and they were, I mean, I am rolling my eyes. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't have words. <laughs> um, maybe I'm just going to pause for one second. When did you have a cyclical, did you have cyclical vomiting syndrome? And yeah. how old were you? Can you describe it a little bit just in case maybe someone listening might also relate? <laughs> oh, sure. yeah. Um, I had it a couple of different uh, points in my life. When I was put on um, stimulants the first time as a child, I had cyclical vomiting really bad and night terrors as well. And sometimes you'll see them go hand in hand. Um, And the cyclical vomiting is a different, like I said, it feels like a different state of consciousness. Your mind is in pure survival. You're not really awake. You're vomiting. You're like falling asleep. It's like when you have the flu so badly that you just are falling asleep anywhere. It's like that. It's just impaired beyond belief. Yeah. Um, So the first time I had it, I think I was uh, when or seven and then again as as a teenager the first time I went on birth control I had cyclical vomiting for like a couple of months and then I got off that birth control very quickly but that was another time so wow interesting it's it's crazy how many times you have puked in your life (laughs) yeah Yeah. um okay so I guess now getting back to uh your your visit to the doctor. Oh, you had your cannabis doctor kind of confirm that, you know, CBD, if it's, if it's helping you fantastic, um, don't stop using it. But then, uh, what did your like regular doctor say? You said you were going to the ER lots. Um, what did they have any knowledge about what you were going through at all? No, uh, no, absolutely not. That's why I'm here talking to you. Absolutely not. Um, they just told me the name of it. They said hyperemesis gravidarium. And they said, uh, some women get this if your mom had it, which my mom did. That was the information they gave me, but they were giving me fluids. Uh, they weren't being horrible to me, but they were not being nice. Like I definitely, uh, there were free beds in the ER all the time that I was there and they were making me sit in the chair to receive my fluids. And I would have to like ask them, okay, well, I'm throwing up every three minutes, actually every three minutes, like clockwork, we would time it. And every time I went to the ER, ER they would time it. Uh, it's on my notes and my chart. Horrible. And then they wouldn't let me lay down. So I have gripes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That would be very, very difficult to um, be so sick and then just watch everyone kind of pass you by or toss you off to the side because they don't think it's so serious. Yeah. Um, did I, uh, were you given any pharmaceuticals that helped you at all? Well, I was, well, the, I was given pharmaceuticals, but they did not help me. They made me much worse. They gave me uh diplectin very quickly. Like as soon as I told my healthcare provider that I was pregnant, she was like, okay, well, if you get sick, have this on hand because I was on anti-nausea meds before I got pregnant. So mm-hmm. I just for like 
in case I was getting sick because I still would vomit regularly, just randomly. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was like, take these instead of what at the time I was taking Zofran. And then she said, you don't want to take Zofran when you're pregnant, but if it gets so bad, you have some. Then I was taking Zofran throughout the pregnancy. And then it was Maxaran uh, that really messed with me. Um, that made the cyclical vomiting aspect of it worse. I was so out of it that I would describe it as loopy. That's all I could say to my partner was I feel loopy. I feel like, like intoxicated, just like, like worse. Mm -hmm. And then they brought in the Haldol at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Haldol, right? H-A-L-D-O-L. Yeah. So Haldol is a benzodiazepine. It's under the same class of drugs as Xanax and Ativan. So it's prescribed for panic attacks. They use low doses of it for medical procedures. It's pretty common. You'll see it for people just with anxiety disorder, panic attacks. Uh, The problem was you shouldn't be. Yeah, they were giving it to me uh, at the end stages of my decline into the Wernicke's encephalopathy, if I'm saying that correctly, encephalopathy. and I think just for pure survival met like methods, because I was so at the end stages of survival that they were trying to help me, I would say, but it definitely was not a good drug. Yeah. It uh how did it how did it affect you? Like it made did it make your vomiting worse or uh it was the mental state. It was the hallucinations that was bad in the hospital. Yeah. Um yeah. Right. Um, so being given all those medications and you are starting to kind of describe um, your your decline into the, the word you used. Um, that's the first time I've ever heard it. What's it what's it called? Uh, Wernicke's encephalopathy. Right. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So what happens when you have. Uh, well. You can get it from different things, but this specifically, it's a deficiency, severe deficiency of your uh, thiamine and your B1 vitamins. And you uh, did your doctor diagnose you with the Wernicke encephalopathy, or were you kind of figuring out this on your own? So at that point, I had been hospitalized for a couple of weeks when the first time I heard them say Wernicke's encephalopathy. Uh and that was uh, someone who knew what they were talking about was coming in and it was a different ER doctor and different uh, doctor that was coming in to do the, I'm not sure. I was so sick at the time. I don't really remember a lot of what was happening, but he came in and he said the term and explained it to me. And I had enough basic biology, like high school and first year university to understand, okay, your vitamin B1 is just depleted. Your thiamine is gone. So uh, basically, the brain starts to shut down a little bit. Um, yeah. And the Her Foundation has a lot of good. Uh, they have a really great pamphlet. I'm just going to look through it here because this is gets really sciencey. So even yeah. to say Wernicke's encephalopathy, it's tough. Like we're just going to refer to it as WE because it's yeah. too. It's yeah. So, but um, it basically describes the state of your body kind of declining, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it means that the it's thrown you into or the deficiency of the b1 and was it something else or is it just b1 your yeah vitamin b1 your thiamine 
finding yeah, that's just throwing you into essentially shutdown mode hey yeah and so I'm so, just gonna yeah the go initial ahead. signs and symptoms I'm just looking at the pamphlet here because it gets yeah. so sciencey I suffer through it but it's hard to remember all of what it is for other people to know if they have this on top of HG because this is what happens when you have for HG for so long or just quick enough some people don't develop it at all some people have it a little bit um but it's where things start to shut down real bad. So it's good for people to understand. So the initial signs and symptoms, it's a different impaired mental state. Uh, like I've said, a lot of the mental state was totally different. You feel like your mind is on a different planet, survival mode. Um, the dizziness, the confusion, your pain sensitivity. So I noticed at this point when I was in the hospital, instead of reacting to the pain, I was so sick that I couldn't move. And I was just unconsciously vomiting, but I noticed that I would cry. So my pain sensitivity was becoming emotional. That was a big thing. So you notice your emotions really start to get to your head as well. They they mentioned mood changes. Um, they say depression and irritability in it, but I was crying probably just from, you know, sadness. But yeah, yeah. Um, it says pain, your abdomen, your abdomen and your muscles. I'm just shaking a little bit. I might drink some water. Yeah, no worries. Oh. And you don't have to continue if you don't want to either. No, no, that's okay. I think I think I haven't gone over the science of this and my body is a little stuck in remembering what those final moments before the decline were. Like yeah. I think I just yeah. need to reset a little bit. It had to go back there to remember the science of it. It's tough. I'm very well versed in this, very no, uh, I- fluent on the neuroscience of it, but to describe it in science terms to someone who's suffering with it, my heart just like stops a little bit. True, true. It's also hard to it's hard to walk through your story, even though maybe you've done it before, but to walk through it with like even with me, like someone who can understand a little bit and also to know that others listening might resonate with what you're saying. Like you were just mm-hmm. like, like it's so it's so pow it's so powerful. Yeah, it's such a beautiful time for it too, I feel just very thankful for the timing of it. And I'm at the point now at two years after it, like exactly where I'm like, okay, I can kind of share this and I still feel the suffering of it. I'm still suffering with it every day. I'm not removed from it at all, but I had survival moment or survival techniques for those absolute darkest moments that you cannot escape from. And I should share those. So I'm excited too. Yes. Yes. Uh Okay. So Oh, red flag. They have a thing in the HG come in the brochure that says red flags for advanced WE. Any signs of the, this is a quote, any sign, any of these signs necessitate immediate and aggressive thiamine administration uh, with methodological correction of electrolytes and other B vitamins to avoid death or serious long-term injury. That was a uh, cited study from 2007. Um mm-hmm. And some of the symptoms that go down there, some of the tougher ones, uh, hallucination, which I had, hearing loss, I have, aphasia, I have, or had, uh, epileptic seizures, neat, I did not know about, hypothermia, uh, mental status, uh, changes, memory loss, cognitive impairment, gait abnormalities, which I have, uh, means your balance is always going to be off a little bit. Your walking, your stance is always off. I have to be always thinking on something. That's the cause of that. Um, respiratory difficulty and failure, 
And then you get into the cardiac symptoms, which I also now have another heart condition because of this uh, pulmonary and peripheral edema, heart failure, cardiomyopathy, which is what I have, hypotension, tachycardia. Tachycardia is a high heart rate, which also have, and then arrhythmias, which is in uh, imbalance of heart or your influx of your heart rate. It doesn't, it's not stable. Arrhythmia is like not stable. Anyways, the science of it is tough to get through, but um, about 20%, that's what they're stat. I'm just reading here from a 2019 study, two years, done two years before me, uh, about 20% of those with WE do not survive. And about 68% develop severe cognitive problems. Neurological damage or death may occur in the children as well. So, yeah. Oh, wow. That is, that is extremely good information for people to know. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, it's crucial. It's yeah. vital. It's so apparent how and you've described it yourself, how much it affected you afterwards and currently and mm-hmm. in yep. possible future times and the outcome of, <clears throat> and the outcome of it all, of course, affecting your baby. Um, mm-hmm. That's just so, it's so amazing that you're here today and that you're sharing this story with us. And so I, I thank you for having the courage to be here and to share that with us. Thank you. Um, I think a really, what really captured my, like, not attention, but like my, I was just like, wow, what a great way to kind of get through hell, um, with your story was how you coped with all of this. And (laughs) I was hoping we could talk a little bit about that because, um, yeah, if there's other moms facing, Severe HG turning into potentially WE going through similar, similar footsteps that you walked. Um, maybe Mm -hmm. they can, I think, or what am I trying to say? Even myself in that situation, I think I would be like, okay, what now? How do I, how do I continue to live in this world after that? Um, Mm -hmm. and so yeah, I was just wondering if you could speak a little bit about how you coped with all of that. I don't have many memories. I really tried to get some back through doing the, I did hypnotherapy and I did um, somatic experience therapy, which I'll talk more about in the art therapy. Okay. That's more where I found healing was art therapy. But in the immediate moments, it was like uh, remembering what the window looked like in the hospital like those are the moments that you're gonna want to hold on to in a really weird way yes yeah my question was like how did you cope in those moments or what Mm -hmm. sort of thing did you look towards or hope yeah it was like the little things that you could see because in that state you're so sick you're not able to see much in a weird way, like your, your vision is impaired. That is a science that, but, um, yeah, yeah, it is pure survival mode. Like just hold on to what you can. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't remember. I just remember that window. Is there anything, um, in those days, weeks, months following 
that a partner or a family member could do for someone in that situation that would help? Mm. Like, um, even if it's just, I guess, of course, holding space for what took place. Um, would you have benefited from people maybe bringing meals or something? Mm-hmm. Or did you feel like you didn't want to see anybody? Well, yeah, it's tough for me to answer. My answer is clouded by the pandemic a little bit. I wasn't, my partner actually wasn't even allowed with me at all for uh, the last few days of my decline. And then to also have my baby taken from my body. Uh and then to say goodbye to him as well. He was not allowed to be present for because of the mandate at the hospital at the time. Um, so my answer about community is clouded by trauma. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's okay too. That is okay. Um, I don't know if people would have helped. There's nothing like you're like just there's nothing that you can do at that point. You're dying. They're just going to be there. But then that's hard for people too, I guess. Yeah. The dream was the first thing that happened because I was still in the hospital. And that was obviously like my the dream is like my birth memory, unfortunately. And that was was and that was like like was that like 24 hours like after it happened sort of or when did the dream take place sorry just for my own timeline so okay there's the dream of when I there's the sedation which is like my birth memory uh and then there's uh when I woke up in the sunroom here and had another DMT trip over but they were two days apart so one was in the hospital and then in the next 48 hours, I had the next one. Right. So there, that's why it's, there's, that's why I was like, oh, maybe we have to go back because <laughs> there's so much to it. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, do you want, it's a, it's a, it's just like a, it's a dark place to go back to. So where do you want to start? Mm-hmm. You tell me. <laughs> okay. Um, hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, it took me a long time to figure out what actually had happened. Um, and if it was because at the time going by medicinal standards, I considered it a hallucination, considered it a dream, uh, considered it something that my brain made up to cope with what was going on. I didn't fully understand what I understand now. I had to go to hypnotherapy for a while to really remember all of what I could get back. Um, and that took many, many months of repair of my brain to get any memories back. And they weren't all like fluid memories. They're all in a dream state. So they were all manipulatable and they were all like a lucid dream. I could change the setting and I could change all these things. And it was a very weird state of consciousness. And then those, that, so that was my existence in the very final days is what I got from the memories back through hypnotherapy, like my final moments of decline. Uh, and it was just a very weird conscious state, obviously very impaired and very sick and dying, right? Yeah. That's what you would expect. Yeah. So the science of that, I had to learn about a lot. And when I found out about 
this is going to sound a little, <laughs> when I found out about CMT, uh, when I found out about how the brain, well, there's no science, they like to say there's no scientific evidence that DMT has ever been found in the brain, that the brain makes it. We know that the body makes it. We know that it is the chemical produced when you die uh, and when you are born. Uh, and it essentially kickstarts and it just like kickstarts your system. Like it's like, and then when you're at the final end of your life, it's maybe I'm trying to get through the science. I try to get through the science and then I get all jumbled no, because okay. I'm like, oh, I'm explaining this in human terms. And then I don't want to get the science wrong in front of people because I actually know what I'm no, talking about. But, uh, uh, DMT all- has never been, it's never been proven that it can be produced in a typical like lifetime other than death and birth sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. but for people in situations like yours, it, mm-hmm. it, there's, what's the word? Um, there's evidence through stories that it is possible. Um, it's mm-hmm. often related to near death experiences, which you very much so went through yeah. usually multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Very strangely. Yeah. I think, um, actually I was listening to a lot of Joe Rogan podcasts at the time when I was really finding out about all this and really doing the hypnotherapy and learning. My hypnotherapist was also a shaman from South Africa or came from, she was descended from shamans from South Africa. So she was very out there and I loved her for it. I just felt like her soul understood mine a little more. And if you're a little hippy dippy, like I get it, it's okay. I will just get my hypnotherapy and remember my memories and we'll be good. But she offered me so much more about this universe that I am still piecing together as I go through it. But learning about the DMT and doing as much intaking as much research as I could fill via those other podcasts and everything I could fill just led me to the just the conclusion that what I had experienced was multiple near death experiences, if just not multiple DMT trips or DMT being produced in my brain or the absolute shutdown and dying. Maybe not Maybe we can't scientifically say it was DMT or it was, you know, it was caused by the Wernicke's encephalopathy and the clear decline. And I did have death in my body like that is very real. But the psychedelic effect of that is something completely unexplored. And I mean, it's taken me two years to talk about. I'm not on social media at all. So if you're not sharing my story, no one is. So it's not out there. And I just, I think it needs to be talked about when we lose our children, that they, that, that we feel that psychologically as much as we feel it physically. Mm-hmm. And it is not explored and we're not processing it as a society. I mean, we, until like social media, I feel like we shut out the, I feel like I could say that better. I feel like my, grandmother's generation and my mother's generation said they had uh lose a child they would not have discussed it at all mm-hmm. and they still are like that very much so they are they have the doors shut and they're not opening and I feel like I would love to talk about my child anytime somebody asks me and I feel like that is a wound that they shut off to themselves but there's so much love there and I don't know where I'm going with that. It's okay. What was your question? I think I think you made a really good point about how society, when mothers lost their child, um, 
it wasn't talked about. You're right. People closed their doors. Mm-hmm. It was hush, hush, uh, continue, get on with your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I recently had a close friend who also lost um, a child and the, the, debil- the debilitation of it is evident. And the fact that people shut that out and it went uncared for for decades um, had a huge imp- impact on women and motherhood and everything like that. And so if we start to care more for the mother uh, through loss, through birth, through recovery, that's when we start to see society become more whole because we're breaking um, family members are breaking moms by shutting them out and not holding space for them. And so my heart for moms like that. We're not built up as a society to function like that though. We are patriarchal all the way. Mm -hmm. We do not help our mothers in pregnancy. If we would, we'd have studies on HG and we'd know that exactly what doesn't and exactly the treatment and exactly the protocol. Instead, we have the HG and the HER Foundation being kicked out of studies at Harvard uh, for their genetic research to fund erectile dysfunction medication in the States. That is a real fact. The HER Foundation founder said it on a podcast, uh, kicked out. So we are built not for the society to be fluent with mothers and to be, if we were, we'd have more integrated care systems for our children so that mothers, if they felt they wanted to work, they could better. And we would be better with our education system as a whole. Our children would be happier and less traumatized if our mothers were set up properly. We are not. And the bottom level of that societal breakdown is HG and WE and pregnancy loss because we are shut out from the world and our suffering does not matter because if your child is not here and contributing in some way, and you are not a part of the system caught up with the education and you're capitalist and you're just sorry, I'm getting real into this, but Go it goes down much. It just break and when you break it down, it's yeah. horrendous. And then you realize, oh shit, we are not set up to help women at all. Nope. Anywhere you look. We yeah. all have to do it ourselves. Yeah, because break. no, that's okay. Twenty because twenty percent um okay, the Her Foundation says fourteen percent experience HD symptoms, but then throw in like uh throw in loss for other for other conditions and stuff like that throw in uh pregnancy trauma with domestic violence and everything like that like 20% at least of our mothers in this world are being traumatized through not being cared for almost in a way or mm-hmm. being neglected by people who should be caring for them it's mm-hmm. when you you're right like when you break it down the the brokenness in society comes from birth and birth trauma uh and not su- yeah not supporting anything around that you're so right and if we if we increased our supports our resources our community uh set mothers up for success type of thing oh our world would be so different mm-hmm. well we're seeing that now that's what i love about social media is we're seeing these doulas and i i love it i want to see all the doula ads and I want to do my research about who I actually want attending at my birth by the way Tori it's just you but you know what I mean like I want the influx of people sharing what they can offer to the world that is not going to harm us as a society anymore we can take care of ourselves we've realized where we're at with the medical system okay great you're going to traumatize us and you're not even going to save us okay well I'm going to grow my herbs and I'm going to grow my own psychedelics and my own healing 
marijuana and I'm going to kill myself over here with my family. Thanks very much. No, thanks. It's just when you break it down, I really, it really was shocking to me as in the healing process of how much I had to just trust my intuition, which was so deeply, deeply, deeply wounded by the education system, every one of them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just horrible. But if I hadn't gotten out of gotten out and of it, I would gotten out of it. There we go. Gotten out of it. I would not have healed from it. So right. Right. Um, I wanted to revisit the topic of DMT for a second. Um because I think a lot of people would question, okay, DMT happened to you. Okay, like what now? Like what did what what happened? Um so I, from my experience, I think DMT changes your state of consciousness. It mm-hmm. it connects you. It almost like connects you more to yourself in a really traumatic way. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it like it. Cha- the biggest thing I can say is it changes your state of consciousness and the way that you see the world. Would you agree? It makes you con- yeah, it makes you confront your own existence on multiple levels. Uh, and, yeah, that, like. You have to surrender to the fact that you exist here. And okay, you got stuff to do. Like things are not great. If you do not fix things, you're not going to live here much longer and you have a a job to do. Yes, 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 yes. It really put my life into focus um, and uh, perspective. It was as if I had removed myself from my body and my life and I was looking down at my life and I saw it all. I saw the past, the present, and I think of an, an after effect of DMT is thinking about the future on a more regular, almost obsessive basis because you've been exposed to your whole lifetime. Does this make sense? I'm no, yeah. yeah. Describing my own like kind of DMT experience as, but mine, I don't think mine was like as much as yours. And so I, I'm just curious to see like if you, if you also resonate. <laughs> You perceive time on a different wavelength. Like I find even being a little autistic, uh, not, I'm not a little autistic. I'm just definitely autistic, but being autistic, I had a different perspective of time. Uh, and it was that ADHD concept of, oh, she's always late or, oh, she doesn't, she can't like stop playing when we're trying to work or it was always like a medicalized version of it. But really, I think I was just deeply, deeply intuitive about how I felt, how things, how I felt things should be. And when I put my time and my energy into it, and that was more important than some man-made concept of time. And that was very deep in the DMT trip, because when you're talking about time concepts, you see different. I had three different versions of myself in both of my DMT trips, mm-hmm. and they were all present and we were all aware of each other and we coexisted in these little universes. And when I came out of it, I was like, oh, I just had to come find my time. This was just my time now. This this is why I felt my time should be mine. I have time to create these things. And so when you look at yourself from the future, you're like, oh, when will when will I have time to create more? It's more of it's a different concept of time opposed to of like a man-made concept. It's like what will I bring to it? Yes. I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's almost I would say a negative thing about it though is it it kind of like makes you like a little stressed out almost. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not the only one. Not the only yeah, one. It's a little it's you know <laughs> in mind, we look for patterns, especially being autistic. We look for patterns, we look for safety, especially the traumatized mind. We're like, okay, well, what's in the future? Am I gonna am I gonna be hurt again? Am I gonna am I gonna be wounded again? 
okay, well, I know safety. So really changing my outlook on understanding how deep my misunderstanding of time was really changed my anxiety and my worry habits instead of like, instead of the deep wound of what's out there, am I going to be hurt? It was more like, hmm, if I bring all of my love to the table and I'm creating all this, then it's not that big of a deal. That That's beautiful. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, D- DMT is something that needs to be explored more. And the correlation with HG women and DMT needs to be explored. So, well, the, I think that we have the science. We've, I can put it together right now in non scientific terms. We have HG, and it is a genetic, proven genetic disorder that is a, or dysfunction at least, genetic cause. Uh, the GDF, GDH, GDF 15. BDF 15. And then you have things, the extended version of that, which which would be the Wernicke's encephalopathy, which is the bottom barrel of death and illness from it. That is the end of life from it. And the fact that I somehow survived it and had this DMT trip with these other people that have experienced near near death experiences as well being similar um, or the drug DMT, then we know there's more to it. And the pathway from HG, sorry, maybe I should, I got a little too in, I got a little too excited. The pathway from HG to uh, DMT is the fact that our brains and our bodies are absolutely shutting down and dying. Yeah. Just for months. I think I remember my therapist telling me that our brain signals to us that we're dying. So if you experience... Um, I guess if anyone else is listening and you've experienced um, HG for the whole nine months, for example, you're getting told criticism or the, I guess, sorry, I guess the, the scientific skepticism of what you could say I was experiencing would be more of the cachexia, which is what actually what kills 15% of cancer patients before the cancer, uh, any type of cancer. That's a broad statement. That's a broad um research statement but it's true um it is the feeling of when your brain tells you you're dying so a lot of hg moms experience this where they're like i felt like i was dying my brain was telling me i was dying that is very real there is a scientific word for that and a diagnosis right my therapist talked about it too and she confirmed that you know those signals that our brain is in shutdown mode or not our brain our body is in shutdown mode um Mm -hmm. She, I guess like another thing that I could kind of add to that too, as a little piece of information I found interesting was the fact that when you have HG, um, there's three last places that um, HG will take fat from in mom's body. So the last, uh, the third last being the brain, most mm-hmm. HG moms like get to that point where their brain is affected, where fat is being taken from their brain which affects mm-hmm. brain function. And so, yeah, most HG moms are actually affected by that. And then the second would be the heart. Um, and mm-hmm. I think you were probably affected by that one. Yeah. Um, and then the baby, um, taking yeah. that from the baby. Typically, most HG babies are smaller. Um, so mm-hmm. one could make the case that that happens for a lot of HG moms too. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's just, it's interesting where, how our body functions through being told it's dying (laughs) yeah or how we're shut off from the world and made to think it's just vomiting 
when we are actually in a state of dying and paralysis right. because of it. Oh my yeah. gosh, I almost right. forgot about that part. We're we're like yeah. just relating oh, to each other so deeply on this darkness level, but then it's like okay, w- wake up! Like there's a real world out there that doesn't think that HG is uh, oh, severe. Oh. It's yeah, insane. it's so nice to talk to you because it's just it's paralyzing with the rest of the world because they don't think it's real somehow. And it's like, no, no, we I actually almost died. Right, like, right. I'll did die, and the rest of the world's like, yeah, vomiting, nice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I feel that. I feel that disorder. Sure, <laughs> it's just aggravating, and then. For those moments where we're like, oh, that deep suffering is sh- so shared. Oh, wait, the rest of the world. Yikes. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not. I'm not sure when I first came to the conclusion that art was going to be my medium for a lot of my emotional processing and the grief journey. I it really. That sounds much more profound than it is. It started with the somatic experience therapy and my therapist at the time was encouraging me to draw what I was seeing in these flashbacks or like draw the somatic work we were doing to heal from those flashbacks was really more the point of it. So when I when we go back to the memory of what was really upsetting and I would feel it at the top of that peak of the pain, you have to go back right. and you feel it again in your safe body now. And you put yourself somewhere safe. So mine obviously was always the treehouse and the mountains and there's a little river. Um, and I always went back there. And to have a mental landscape where you can go back to is very key. Right. But I didn't, I can't accredit that to all of my own consciousness to heal that way. But that landscape was created by the DMT trip that I had experienced. So that place I was able to put myself that was so healing and took me away from the pain was also a deep, deep, deep inner consciousness and like, you know, a brain shutting down. So I had this vision, this visual in my head of something that came from great sickness, but was so beautiful and then had the potential to be so healing. And that somatic therapy brought it out. That was the initial drawing of like, I'm drawing mountains and I'm remembering this this visual and I can't get it out and I don't know what I'm seeing but when I think of this when I'm remembering these hospital horrors and the just the awful everything uh I go back to this all that comes in my mind is this visual of this mountains and I it's where I protect myself in the treehouse mm-hmm. and so I think I would suggest that a minor version of that if you were in like a state of immediate trauma and you're like okay I am gonna have to face some horrors today Put yourself somewhere safe, even if you just create it in your mind quickly. Just put it the most beautiful place you've ever been. It could be the beach. It could be, I don't, yeah, just take inspiration for mine. It could be a tree house. I had a nice little stepping stone river. Um, yeah, I that helped me a lot to be able to go back. And then when you feel those feelings, you don't disassociate to put yourself in that scenario, but you think, okay, well, my body is safe where I am, but let my mind picture something else to know I'm safe mm-hmm. and just bring yourself down because in those immediate moments of grief, when you're at the peak of the pain, you don't want to run away from it. So I'm not saying put yourself in the mountains and run away from the pain you're feeling of the grief, but in the PTSD depths of it, when your mind doesn't need a break, that is very important to listen to. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. That concept of, 
a safe space. Oh, that's so mm-hmm. powerful. And that could be such and that's a- important for HD too. Well, yeah. really important. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Totally, yeah. I remember one of my therapists walking me, we were walking through my story and she kind of had me do the same thing in a calming sort of what, what's a calming thing to you, Tori. And so I would always envision myself like kind of like swimming in an ocean, just like the breath work and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking, one. speaking of breath work, mm-hmm. I think that another thing um, with DMT is when your breath work changes. So with vomiting, your breath work mm-hmm. would change on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so something about the breath work changing is connected to DMT. There's a, I know someone who knows a little bit more about it. I'll have to explore that. But yeah, um, so that's kind of interesting. But yeah, a safe I would love space to learn about that. Yeah, I would love to learn about that. That sounds, yeah, I feel that very deeply. I resonate with that. That sounds like the breathing is something, especially when your esophagus is damaged and your diaphragm is damaged and your pelvic floor is damaged from the vomiting and then labor of all kinds. Yeah. Um, horse how are you supposed to breathe properly of course your brain and body are going to get less oxygen and like that is a key point in many many impaired mental states and everything else but yeah yeah. um so okay so the art therapy was or the Mm -hmm. yeah the art therapy is going was going well for you um right what what type of uh what type of art do you do? Can you describe a little bit to them, like maybe what you use? Um, yeah. Okay. It was, it was really, it had to, I had to go into my inner child for this. That was the original activity. Uh, and my medium, my happiest medium was the a hundred box of Crayola markers, the hundred colors it was my happiest childhood memory of color and like just so exciting I could use all the colors and I didn't have to share with anyone and they were just all mine all the time it was like my inner child was the happiest it had ever been and that was a key point too that I'll go back to because that was that inspired a lot of the art um and healing forward um and had a lot to do with the DMT too but where was I going with this sorry Uh, the markers and then did you use like white paper like what did you like to use oh yeah um just I think I had like notebooks. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then you did yeah. some on your, is it your iPad? Oh yeah. I do the drawings on the iPad and the procreate. Yeah. The app I use called is called procreate. Uh, and I think it's like $16 or something. And I originally bought like a fake Apple pencil on Amazon. I think it was probably $25. And I was like, okay, well let's see if I like this and then I'll spend the money on a good one if I really am good at it. And then I did it within a week and I realized how easy it was. And then in the most kind of like niche autistic way, Procreate and the app Notion allow you just like complete control and creativity in a like data function and art way. So I kind of just took those and ran and now I, yeah, but. Those are really good tools for, I think any, any mom like or any person going through a hard time like that um to yeah to use both those apps type thing mm-hmm. it organized my thoughts notion has a really good journal aspect so you can organize your journal so um Ooh. i would write different poems and different like memories or things i wanted to remember in the media that was a big thing too that i did actually I forgot about that i would write different things that really made me happy 
Uh, and it was like the smallest things like the sunshine and like, you know, you're just dying. So <laughs> I laugh about it, but write it down. You will go back in those memories and it's like really nice to have because you actually will feel the memory and the grief and the pain are there with it. But it, I'm glad I have that. Right? So yeah, that's important too. Um, sorry, what was your question? Oh, I don't even remember, but I think those you just described or earlier you were having trouble describing how you coped or whatever, but I think all of that, what you just described was how you coped. And that is so, so beautiful finding. Yeah. Like you said, the smallest little things. I remember I also really was grateful for the sunshine. (laughs) That was like the only thing that really I could look at every day and just be happy kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's powerful. Um, How about... How are you kind of doing now in terms of, I don't know, the past year? So it's been about two years since Mm -hmm. everything took place. Um, How is your body and mind still affected either negatively and maybe positively too? In the imminent, I would call it first 18 months, like until six months ago, I wouldn't say I have, have had the uh let alone cognitive function let alone physical ability to function like a normal human like completely incapacitated disabled like i'm vomiting every hour still what they say is that uh if you have hg you have it for another month however many months you have it so like right. one to two one to two months for every month you suffered hg so you would have ex- yeah. experienced you experienced that aftermath of the ptsd puking that i talk about yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, it was a, I had to heal my gut. I went to the naturopath and did a gut microbiome thing and had to find out what was wrong with all my gut and supplements and diet had to change. And um, it was just a complete rehabilitation. I mean, I couldn't walk uh, for a while. Uh, I was just in bed vomiting. Right. Um was, I've heard another mom describe that she couldn't walk well either. Yeah, that's the that's the Wernicke's encephalopathy. Then that's yeah, because it affects everything. You can't. Yeah, I couldn't. I didn't know how to walk. The sunlight. Although I liked the sunlight in the hospital when I was not able to move. When I was still in my home and vomiting before hospitalized, the sunlight was so bad. I had to turn off all the lights, close all the windows all the time. The daytime was the most painful. Yeah, uh, which is another symptom of the Wernicke's. You're so depleted from any vitamins that the sunshine with the vitamin B is like way too much. Oh wow! Yeah. So anyway, where where are we going with that? Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I remember. Do you remember? Um, I've tried to describe this before, but like the the smell of winter or like the smell of summer would make me want to vomit sometimes, or the. Yeah. This, the smell of a song almost in a way, like if I heard a song or a TikTok sound, mm-hmm. um, it was like this, just like, it just triggered everything to come back. Did you experience that? Um, I would say in the, in, in the PTSD way. Yeah. But for the vomiting, it was more, I experienced more of the cyclical vomiting continued less in a reactive way, more in a just continued the same as when I was pregnant way. And eventually kind of like got a little lesser in the months, but less in a, in a quick state. Did you, uh, did you find anything that also kind of helped with that? Um, I know you kind of talk about your mushroom journey sometimes. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I love the mushrooms. 
<laughs> thankful for the mushrooms. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a huge one. So after the hypnotherapy, and I had been at a really good place for that, and it settled with a lot of my memories and really felt like I could trust myself as a guide going forward. Like I felt like I had this intuitiveness back that I had been that had been taken from me as a child. Like I just felt like I was whole. Right. And I had all these memories back and I like understood things for what they were understanding my existence for what it was and my childhood traumas for what they were and like what really should have happened in my life and like, oh, okay, but yeah, I'm good. Like I can fix this going forward and I'm, I'm good. Right. And that was really a key point of that mushroom journey before I did them was to be like in a good place. And I knew that before I was going to do them, I didn't want to be in a state of shock or in a state where I was worried it was going to send me into a PTSD episode. I was really afraid of that. So I, I remember too. Yeah. mm -hmm. I took all precautions to avoid it. I mean, I set my entire living room up with just like nice little salt lamps and like a diffuser with different smells. So if I needed to like take myself out of it, I was had safe things around my hundred colors, that box of a hundred markers that was there for me to color. Um, yeah, that was important. But then when I did them, uh, I just got this like deep inner peace. And I was like, oh, I'm chilling now. I don't know why. It was like, oh, okay, I'm going to be okay at life in a very like nonchalant, like it just felt so deep and profound. But then to speak about it, it's like, yeah, I just feel like I'm okay. And that is a win. But I'm still disabled by everything that's happened. I mean, my body is not great. Yeah, uh, but I'm accepting of the fact of where I'm at and doing what I can to meet myself where I'm at, which is a profound thing I didn't even have before I got sick. I was constantly trying to be trying to do more and be like I was taking all these drugs to feel better. And I didn't know what understand. I didn't understand why I couldn't function like a normal person in the world. And like I had to take all these drugs to be really good at school and then to do what? Like work with autistic kids. Okay. Well, I'm autistic deep down and I deserve like a quiet home and like, you know, accommodations and these things that I just needed to put in place in my life to meet myself where I was at. And I was never going to meet myself where I was at if I was not going to, if I hadn't had done the mushrooms at all. I just accepted my brain for what it was and went, oh, okay. You just need like some things to help you all right, cool. Like, it's just very chill now. It just feels very easy to say, but it's, that's why I'm having a hard time wording it. Cause it's just, it feels like a, a true acceptance that feels uh -huh. so deep within me that I'm like, Oh, it's just how it is. And then I forget that I lived a life of such like autistic pain existing in this world and, and had these horrible traumas. And then day to day now I'm like, Oh, okay, well I can't do all these things and I need to sleep after I go grocery shopping, but I'll be okay. Like, yeah, it's just, feels fluid now. I feel good. Yeah. But, fluid. Yeah. Or, yeah. That's a really good word. Um, Coherent, cohesive. I just feel like one. Yeah. yeah. You process and the processing of the processing it helps you with is pretty cool. Well, at least mm -hmm. in my experience, it helped me process a lot of what of the trauma that happened. Like you kind of said. That. Oh yeah. It wasn't a first, it wasn't like I did one trip and now I'm chilling. I had to cry it out on bathroom floor and in the tub and through yeah maybe we could talk about that because I guess yeah. maybe people are listening and they're curious about oh, yeah. using, uh, mushrooms to heal from this kind of stuff that we're talking about um yeah it's not it's definitely a process I started to notice improvements maybe two months into consistently taking the mushrooms 
Um, but yeah, you don't notice it at first, right? And it's, it can be a little crazy at first. Your set and setting that you were talking about earlier um, is fantastic and such a key point because sometimes it can get a little bit crazy. Yeah. And to give your, this, you're so right. To give the setting and something purpose is meaningful. My first trip to really cry it out, you because to say it's so chill, you're right. I forget. I'm like very lived experience now and it's very profound to say, but like when you are living day to day, suffering the pain and you can't feel it alongside the love at all, like you just feel so broken. Yeah. It, I remember my first trip as being a connective to that pain experience. It just felt like I had, okay, I'm going to carry this alongside me now. And the way that I had set that up for myself, for whatever reason was through like a flow of yoga, I felt the urge to move and to flow with yoga and just move as if I was still carrying my infant, like as if I was holding them through the movements I was doing, through the journey of the mushrooms and the heights of mushrooms make you feel joyous and they make you feel your deepest pains and you just have to surrender and you'll feel them at different times. And that yeah. is the point. Yeah, they're, they're good teachers. Cycle through it. Yeah. <laughs> And fantastic teachers. Golden teachers. And you just you go through it. Yeah. That's yeah. the type of mushroom that I've had the best luck with. You too, right? The golden yes. teacher. Yes. Yeah. Did you um have you had luck with any other types of species of mushroom? There was one uh that I have to uh trouble pronouncing. How do you Oolong Wong? Oolongong? Something. Right. Yeah, I could look it up. But um I took it and it was a very different experience. It was not the deep psychological evaluation and like trip that I would describe the golden teachers can give you. Right. It was I took it when we were went camping and we were in the forest and the sunshine was so bright and I just stared at the trees. Like it was a bit of a it was not really what I was looking for. It was more of I yeah. think what people are popular and like popularly trying and like yes, describing yes. and looking for when you're not working to do the trauma work and like feel right. your deepest wounds and cry right. through them with some yoga. But yes, um, I agree. I, agree. Yeah. I also experienced okay. some that were not my favorite. <laughs> Which kind? Um, penis envy was the worst. Oh dear. <laughs> I think you've told me that before, and I think I've probably reacted to. Oh, holy, who named it? It's that. Oh, what's the scientific one. name? Yeah, I have some here. So when you come, maybe you can try it and see how you oh. think of it. <laughs> okay. What did it do to you? What was your effect? It sent, I was in deep shame the entire time. Oh, shit. Maybe I don't want that. <laughs> but then, but I took two. Yeah, I don't know. But then other, so it's one of their most popular kind though. So like everyone is different, but there's a girl okay. in California who saw me doing mushrooms. And so she sourced them out, got some penis envy, took them bad bad trip and was like Tori like what happened like I thought something good was supposed to come with that and I was like oh no and then she told me the strain and I was like oh my god me too like I could not but I don't know everyone's different um but yeah and then there was I tried four other kinds that were kind of mediocre Mazapatek is all right that one's fine that one's I would do that one again (laughs) I haven't heard of that yeah I would explore different ones. I haven't thought about it. I love the golden teachers so much. They're so versatile. Like I can take some to microdose and be good throughout my day and be in a good mood. Like obviously I've taken some today so I can have this chat with you and to tell you how chill I am about all the trauma I've experienced, even though the deep wound suffering I cried about in earlier, like yeah. it's, 
it's a it's a journey. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird state of existence. Like it's just weird to be here. <laughs> yeah, agreed. But it's good. It's, it's good. better than yeah. the alternative. If if I hadn't found mushrooms, I I like to have that discussion in my head with myself sometimes. I wonder if I hadn't found all of this healing, what I would have been like. Oh my goodness. I wonder how all these people exist like this. That does not sound good. It's Me? like a look at the society and like, holy shit, you are wounded. You're not gonna do shrooms about it? Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's a very weird, like, yeah, healed state of existence when you've really had to look yourself in so many different faces and just be like, okay, well, we can fix things, but yeah. let's do it. And yeah. then yeah. Yeah. The mushrooms improve so much. I almost forget how much they yeah. improved in myself. Isn't that, isn't that yeah. a trip in itself? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why I'm having such a hard time talking about it. Cause I'm like, I'm chill. I'm chilling. But no, I was uh, disabled. I was debilitated in bed vomiting for like uh, 16 months. It was not a good time, but now the mushrooms have done such a profound work in rebuilding my brain and making my honestly would never have been as well as I am today if I had never been that sick. And right. that is a very profound statement to make. Uh, but I would never have found this ultimate deep healing that I wish I would have had as a child. I wish not to say that I wish someone had given me shrooms as a kid, not don't, that's not what I'm saying, but yeah. if I understood what I understood now about life and just wasn't afraid of it. Right. That would have been great. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So much. I agree. The profound healing it gives you. Yeah. And, oh, it's pretty crazy that doctors aren't recommending this as a heal, as a way of healing. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. They can't make money off of it. It's another plant. They're going to try to market it like they did the Ontario Cannabis Store. And then you get government weed and it doesn't do anything for you. Hmm. Anyway, it takes all the fresh chirpings away. Another hour. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I got. But yeah, it's got crazy. Crazy. It's yeah. crazy that they don't offer it as, or sorry, they don't suggest it, especially to someone like yourself where you were so debilitated, and not once was a doctor who's supposed to care for your health, like, are paying tax money for that. Um, mm-hmm. Not once did a doctor be like, "Hey, great. Oh, I'm. I'll come. Oh, here, say you can say my name. That's fine. I know. Um, never once did they say like, "Hey, Grace, like." maybe some psilocybin, give it a small try, just see what happens. Like, mm-hmm. um, no harm, no foul. Like you're not pregnant right now. So like, mm-hmm. of course, like I cannot understand why they would not have recommended it to you based on they weren't going to make any money off of it. You know, every prescription yeah. that a doctor writes, they, uh, are paid by a pharmaceutical rep to promote to you, uh, including Zofran. Zofran is the high, one of the highest cost drugs for insurance companies, but they do not like to pay. That's why they will not cover it in a lot of states and in a lot of provinces and stuff. I had to have private insurance to cover it here in Ontario. And if I didn't, I wouldn't have. So it's, it's expensive. it goes much deeper than that. It's like the system is so broken for healing. They don't want you to. I mean, I had, the reason I found mushrooms was because I had to privately pay a holistic psychotherapist she has she is a licensed psychotherapist and she's also she practices um hypnotherapy yeah with ptsd patients and i then she was like okay i think you are ready for some deeper healing you should think about it okay great but if i hadn't done that on my own work and sought that out myself in a deep healing way there's no way you would have ever known about it which is just yeah. why I want to work with you to make it known that there are things that you can do. You just have to trust yourself and what works for you because, okay, just, I get it to say that, okay, 
to make the profound statement that this is an end-all be-all treatment and it's going to cure everybody with what I went through. No, everybody is different. The same way shrooms work different for different people. Meds work different for different people. But at least if some suffering could be it like a little bit helped, that would be profound because that little bit of suffering goes a long way. A hundred percent. It should be offered. It should be, we should be educated about it. We we should know about the fungi of this planet and how it can help us. This is something we should learn about fungi in high school. Like why, why don't we not this? I'm not talking magic mushrooms. I'm talking fungi. We should, it's, it grows in our forest. Let's freaking learn about it. It is like, what is the stat? I think there's one of the, I listened to so many mushroom podcasts um, I before I did them. And there was a stat that they take over, that they consume the planet by, I don't want to get it wrong. But anyways, they make up so much of the planet, yeah. so much that we don't realize our mushrooms are responsible for life and death, decomposing yeah. and creating life. Mm-hmm. So are we. Yeah. Um, and they healed our brains. Like I just picture this beautiful image of what the mushrooms must have done to my brain, just like rebuilding it. Yeah. It's like mad. It's almost like a sky and it's like these magical particles just like kind of coming together. It's like a starry night in my brain. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to draw it. I'm going to draw that later. That is beautiful. Yeah. 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 And I just, I picture like my brain, I'm not a science person, neurons being Mm -hmm. repaired through this like particle form formation, which is the fungi. And mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> the fact that we don't know or that science doesn't like fungi, I mean, goes deeply into politics and whatnot. That's a different discussion. But uh it rebuilds our brain, it rebuilds our cell system, it rebuilds every part of what we have to create, all the plants, everything, all our food. Yeah. So I it, don't know. It's, it's ignored. Uh, not profitable. Yeah, that's that's the that's the basis of it. And that is new patent mushrooms. Yeah, it's it's such an ugly truth. I woke up to through Mm -hmm. trauma of HG is. um, Yeah, just that that there's not a lot of healing options out there. And the one that is out there isn't being talked about uh, specifically Mm -hmm. for this demographic of women who have been neglected for centuries like. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, if we all put some effort into changing this, like doctors and everything like that, like our world would be so different. It's just mm-hmm. uncovering. I don't know. It's so hard to explain. There would be a lot less, uh, a lot less suffering. I'll tell you because the mothers would be less suffering. The babies would suffer less. Babies would be healthier, healthy childhoods, healthier yeah. childhoods with less traumatized moms who are trying to cope and survive still and like debilitating illness and a genetic disease that isn't acknowledged. And, and like, who is the basis of it all? Yeah. You just wrap your, yeah. And then we have a society of from like then the bi- generational trauma is real our dna it affects our dna it is proven the yeah, yeah i would love yeah anyways <laughs> <laughs> there's so uh, many there's so many we didn't even get to talking about our our theory of hg and like trauma being stored in the body we didn't even get oh, there yeah. there's so much yeah. so much to talk about but i mm-hmm. guess we could touch on it a little bit in case i've discussed it a little bit with like some other people and i can see how what am I trying to say? From the stories I've collected, I just know 
somehow I think HG is also connected to like trauma and the releasing of it. And like, it's like the opportunity to detox your body, because when you're vomiting that much, you're obviously detoxing. But Mm -hmm. obviously when you get to such a state where it's like bad, you need the interventions, of course, but to have that detox is perhaps not so bad if if you're able to like medicate with like cannabis and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I actually believe the detox can be good for some like some people. Yeah, I think there's a lot that we don't understand uh, right now about the science and the detox and why that cannabinoid system works in the detox. Why was I actually salivating to the smell of cannabis? And like actually craving weed to keep me alive. And like I knew in a deep, profound way it was helping me and I wasn't vomiting as much versus all the drugs they pumped me full of that made me sicker and then almost uh, led to my ultimate demise. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but you see the difference of like what your body actually needs and you'll see it crave it at the deepest, deepest depths that it can be. Like I was dying and my body was like weed cannabis it will help you and then they were like no why I was dying and it was helping oh that makes me so upset yes I I also kind of I also kind of craved it too in a way and then that relief of like I remember when I first kind of tried it to cope with the vomiting because I had taken a break because I quit because that's what everyone does right and then I I remember doing it after like I think it was like three or four ish weeks so those three three four weeks I was dying and then I tried it and I was like, I am alive. I am alive. Holy frig. And so the fact that moms don't like moms who are pregnant don't get that feeling of being alive. Um, and instead they're just on all of these pills in a hospital room. Um, that breaks my heart. <laughs> yeah. But to go like to even it's just awful. And then the endocannabinoid system and the cachexia, why are they effective like that? Because you do feel like I'm dying, I'm dying, I'm dying. And then as soon as you can get an inhalation of weed, it's like, okay, relief. Okay, things are okay. And you can talk yourself out of it as if you're a normal functioning adult. So I don't know. I don't understand the science of the connection of what the cachexia and the endocannabinoid system, how they function together. But yeah. uh, why so many cancer patients? Yeah, it's why so many cancer patients are prescribed medical marijuana to be able to cope with that. Um, and so, if HG is like, oh, there must there was a statistic. It can sometimes be up to like, ooh, maybe don't quote me on this six like six times harder than chemotherapy, like going through chemotherapy yeah. when you're vomiting. And like when moms are vomiting 50 times a day, like that's harder than chemotherapy, but yet we're not getting those medical marijuana prescriptions. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Insane. Yeah. It's all because it hasn't been studied, but what's blocking those studies? It's been pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. It's been studied enough to the point where they realize that they can't profit massively from it. They cannot patent a plant that other people can't grow. That's against our human rights. Um, so it's the same with the mushrooms. It's much deeper than do we want our society to be well, or do we want to make money off them? This is a business, the birth of business. There's a great documentary. I think it's the business of birth actually. Sorry. But, um, yeah, great documentary about how much they'll charge you to exist but um yes. if into that too much deeper healing yeah and they're 
Well, society has created these like temporary reliefs for people. Mm -hmm. So alcohol being one of them, entertainment to an extent, social Mm -hmm. media to an extent. Um, It's society has always promoted these quick, uh, like shots of dopamine type of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. So you don't get to heal from the core when you're, when you're consuming alcohol or fast food and like all of these, like, I don't know, normalized things in society. But when you start to incorporate mushrooms and cannabis and plant medicine, like that's when, that's when you start to heal from the, from the inside. And it makes you not want to do those distractions that were causing you to not heal either, which is also Mm -hmm. an interesting subject. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You and I both don't drink anymore. And we used to be very <laughs> small town Ontario. Well, small town Canada. So. Yeah, just um, <laughs> yeah. For anyone listening, like we used both Grace and I, we used to just um spend our weekends kind of partying, right? Yeah, uh, we both grew up in like small town Canada. I grew up in Ontario, and Tori's from Alberta. So lots of country music, lots of bonfires, lots of beer bongs, lots of beer pong. Yeah. Alcohol was so normalized and it's so such a tragedy that my gut was poisoned from such a young age. Yes, um yes. and such a not it was just like so so superficial. When I look back at it with all the healing, like I get that that's like the normalized teenage experience or like whatever, but God. Uh and yeah. you talk about your partner's experience being home safe, like smoking weed in a basement. That sounds much better to me than being out somewhere in a forest with a bunch of booze. Good grief. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my partner, he he was not really a drinker. Like he went to maybe a few parties in high school, but like not what I was doing in like university type of thing. He was he was at work as well when I was at university. So that was kind of different lifestyles. But um yeah, my partner, I would if I would have met him sooner, maybe I wouldn't have made all those decisions that I made. You know, I had a lot of fun, but at the same time, mushrooms made me realize that I cannot continue to live a life like that where I am just constantly coping with that like um uh temporary dopamine and temporary relief from the pain and stuff like that yeah um, i experienced yeah i experienced something that i'm really curious to know if others experience this too and this is the first time i plan to talk about this in my own kind of podcast but like i experienced kind of reverting back to that alcoholism after following HG because I was in so much pain and it was the only way that I could socialize with people without wanting to disappear and cry cry. actually there was a lot of times where I would just be around people and just start breaking down because I would remember I'd have a flashback and so yeah and so going out and I was like okay I'm gonna have a couple glasses of wine so that I am more social and fun because Tori is fun when she drinks type of thing because that was my reputation before and so I had to get it through my head like I knew <sighs> sorry I get, I'm turning this on to me a little bit right now I'm so sorry no no I'm happy no absolutely not I've had to hear that. But I knew I knew I couldn't drink alcohol after HG because I would vomit every single like every single time and I was like mm-hmm. okay Tori you used to you used to have bad hangovers back in the day but this was every time I was drinking. And then I started to realize like, oh, wow, like something like my body is saying, no, don't do this. But it wasn't until mushrooms, 14 months postpartum, where I or 13 months postpartum, where I was like, 
for you. This alcohol is poisoning you. Why? Like, mm-hmm. and I started to realize uh, the dopamine connection and like why I was going to it and uh, why, why, yeah, why I wanted to drink around people and stuff like that. Even though before I was perfectly content using cannabis, I was like, when I was pregnant, I was like, this is a great life. I love, I love cannabis. Like, I'm just going to be the girl who smokes cannabis at the parties, you know, like, no problem. But then I got thrown back into the real world where I was surrounded by normalized alcohol consumption. And so when I got together with my friends who are, you know, 20, 23, 24, still very young, still out partying, they would bring, they would bring booze. And I had like wine in my kitchen. So we're all like drinking together and the baby's just chilling there. Like I wasn't getting drunk, but we were, you know, having drinks, like, which is very, very normal in society. Mm. Um, But yeah. And then I just started, uh, once I did the mushrooms, I was like, whoa whoa, 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 let's stop this now (laughs) because this is starting to get bad because I started to numb myself like all the time. And when I made the TikTok account, I started to take in a lot of trauma from others. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, the the alcohol helped me to deal with that sometimes because it was so heavy on top of my own story Mm -hmm. being heavy and like healing through it. Mm -hmm. Alcohol was alcohol is like a little monster for me. Like it just destroys my life. If I, if I, if I choose to kind of do it. That so. is a very common theme in addiction. We both come from families with addiction, alcohol addiction specifically. Yeah. yeah um, it made me think about my family for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I did the same thing. I was weary of it. And the only time I drank, I actually um, was a mistake. And I took mushrooms that night earlier to go to a like a micro, micro, micro dose to go to an event, a work event for my fiance mm-hmm. um, and to attend. And that was really anxious thing. And I was having the same yeah. flashbacks and stuff still. And that was really tough. And I remember how awful that was. And then I made the mistake of having a glass of wine, not a big one, a glass of wine with dinner. And I actually had to, I had to take this into my natural path, but I vomited up a parasite that night and had this whole trip from this microdose and the alcohol, both poisoning my gut. And I was like, I can never drink again. This is absolute. This is it. Like you have this moment where you meet yourself and you're like, this is poison. This is not okay. This is harming me. These mushrooms are helping me. I've never, ever, ever felt like this. I will never feel like this again. And it was way too similar to HG. It would brought back all that in a post, like in a PTSD way, but then also just in a similar, what was happening was vomiting up so violently. I vomited up a legitimate parasite that it take to my natural bath the next Monday. That was awful. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, it really, I could really just sense that it was wrecking my gut. Like I could, yeah. because of that deep connection that we have after HG with our bodies, like I could, I'm so, I'm so in tune with everything going on almost to the point where I'm like, I don't want to know about everything in my body. Sometimes I'd rather be a little oblivious sometimes, but no, my body's like, you're going to know about it. And, um, yeah, I could just feel like it was wrecking my gut. And then, Mm -hmm. but you want to know the craziest, craziest thing. And you could probably understand this from like a very, like, kind of like psychologist perspective is that I almost found comfort in the puking again, like, Mm post like if I was drinking it was like the the temporary relief of the drinking was worth the vomiting the next day and so I just got I was like I'm an expert puker I'll just it's fine I'll get over it I'll live I've lived through worse and I felt that before oh profound yeah and so I was like it was like not comfort's not the best word to use but no safe 
safe. It's uh, what your nervous system knows. You're in a very traumatized state going, no, I do know how to survive through this. I can do this. Okay, pep talk. Okay, I know what this is. I can survive for, I can do this. Suffer for these hours afterwards to feel a little bit better around people so that they think I'm nice and we're still up keeping social norms, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, And then the mushrooms go, no, bitch, not anymore. Yeah, like call me out on my own shit. Yeah, every day, every day. Yeah. all the time and so yeah I actually like since taking mushrooms I I just like I just think alcohol is so not okay in my body it's it's weird it's like it's like I want to be able to think that like Tori like nor unmasked up Tori is just like oh I can do it but then I oh it's so tough not good that took such a hard mushroom trip for me to meet my autistic self where I was that was honestly the deepest trip I've had as opposed to all of the other trauma trips I've had to go through to heal my trauma wounds it was the autism one that kicked my butt the hardest yeah that was my whole life of hiding and feeling like I wasn't good enough for some reason and this world isn't made for me why is it like why does the world hurt why do I feel sick all the time why am I sleeping all the time like why why do I just feel overwhelmed by everything yeah. And then I just got kicked in the butt by mushrooms and cried on my living room floor and just hugged my inner child and put her in the treehouse too yeah. and uh, left her there. And then that was really my like, okay, nope, we're going to meet myself where I'm at because I'm disabled now and I have to recover from all this illness and I'm autistic too and always have been. Yeah. Okay. So we start from ground zero. So you have to speak to yourself like you're a kid and just be nice to yourself. And mm-hmm. that is like, it's so, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I resonate with that so much, so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and alcohol was such a, it felt like a way back to the person I was before I had felt all of that. So yes. for you to say, I was like, yeah, I used to be like that. That girl was nice. She was, she was surviving. Like I really liked her. Okay. Yeah. Great. I'll go back to her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I had to, I had to grieve. I had to grieve her being gone because yeah, you're right. I tried to return to her because I didn't want to be this person, this new person that was built by vomiting. Like yeah, I, I was, trauma. I felt so broken. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I resonate with that too. Yeah. Very deep when all you can do is vomit for months and you're dying and the world doesn't really care and nobody understands. And I think you're just puking and yeah, it's like, ugh. Yep. And then mushrooms helped me to be like, nope, you're actually, you're going to, you're going to not numb this pain. You're going to talk about this pain and you're going to find others who want to talk about this pain and Mm -hmm. who want to help. (laughs) Yeah. So mushrooms led me to this journey for sure. Like I started the TikTok without mushrooms and stuff, but then Mm -hmm. mushrooms led me to like the journey of like implementing like action sort of. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, you led me to mushrooms too. That was a huge thing. You were yeah, doing them around them at the same, same time. time. That's yeah. right. That's right. That's right. That was a crazy thing as well that we were pregnant at the same time. And then also we were doing mushrooms at the same time and really didn't because know each felt, other. Yeah. We felt like called to heal. Yeah. Suddenly. What we did to be healed. Yeah. That's wild. Mm-hmm. So wild. Well, it was just so wonderful talking on this podcast with you. Yes. Um, Thank you for having me. <laughs> and, uh, We will talk soon, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that was the worst. HG moms are some of the bravest women I know. 
We were built from darkness and had to rise above. We were given little help, resources, or community by those in charge of our care, but we created it ourselves once we could unite through the internet and tell our stories, where we could tell the truth about plant medicine and surviving HG.